1: Now, from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On.
2: Democracy is at stake,
1: and we have to have alliances
2: of people that strongly disagree on everything but that fact.
1: Inflation's not going to be a problem.
3: Inflation
1: will moderate. Bloomberg Sound On.
3: Politics, policy, and perspective from D.C.'s top names. It would be insanity if the Democrats don't do something on Build Back Better. Pennsylvania, one of the closest states in the 2020 election,
4: will be critical for deciding which party controls the Senate after 2022.
1: Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Passing the chin strap. it's another double lead day as the Fed chair sits for his reconfirmation hearing here in Washington and the president leaves. The bubble hits the road to sell a voting rights reform bill that has no clear path in Congress. All this as COVID cases and hospitalizations rise to new records. What a time we are living in as we will dig into Jay Powell's Senate testimony ahead with Congressman French Hill, Republican from Arkansas, member of the House Financial Services Committee, close Fed Watcher. We'll also ask him about the latest move to ban stock trading in Congress. Later, as the president travels to Georgia to promote this voting rights legislation, we'll talk about it with Georgia's Secretary of State, Brad Raffensberger, who sees things differently, as you might imagine. And we'll dig into all of it with our panel. Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis with us for the hour. Jay Powell, of course, looming large on Wall Street today. Everybody listening to the testimony. Here on Bloomberg, very deliberate when he talked about fighting inflation during his reconfirmation hearing today. Here is the Fed chair before the Senate Banking Committee.
5: We do think we'll get over the course of this year uh, return to normal supply conditions, and that's going to affect our policy. I, I will say, though, if you know, if 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 we see inflation persisting at high levels longer than expected, then then we will you know, then we'll if we have to raise interest rates more over time, we will.
1: Because you need him standing on that wall. Powell's day on the hill actually went pretty well. No big fireworks, confrontations other than the usual. I'm actually starting to think that he may even get a warm feeling inside when he gets a little pushback from Elizabeth Warren. It's like, ah, geez, you know, we're home again. And as we've told you, Powell's testimony today will be followed by Lale Brainerd's on Thursday. That conversation could be a little bit different. So let's get into all this with Congressman French Hill, Republican from Arkansas, member of the House Financial Services Committee, back with us on Sound On. Welcome back, Congressman. It's great to have you with us. Happy New Year, if I can still say that. Do you do you see an easy reconfirmation for Chair Powell?
4: Joe, it's great to be with you. Happy New Year. I say it right through the month of January. Okay, so we're back to you. Thank you very much. (laughs) I see Jay Powell's confirmation process as very straightforward. I believe uh, Chairman Powell has earned the nomination and uh, his uh, approval by the Senate.
1: What do you make of uh, his, if I can say, evolving feelings about inflation? He's moving with the data, as uh, we always hear from Chair Powell. Do you feel he has a grasp of this and has the tools to fight it?
4: Well, I think, Chair Powell, when reconfirmed owns this inflation inflation issue, you know, I've argued for well over a year now, before the American Rescue Plan came to the Congress last February and March, that we were expanding monetary policy uh, too rapidly, too in too much accommodation. And we were pursuing uh, fiscal policy in too aggressive a matter, even last fall, saying we should begin pulling back the levers uh, that the Fed put in place for the pandemic and that we should not be doubling down on federal spending. We're seeing the impact of that now. We're seeing it in inflation. And while supply constraints have contributed and exacerbated inflationary expectations and realized inflation for every one of us at our kitchen table and at the grocery store and at the gas pump – Yeah. Uh, this fiscal and monetary stimulus, I think, is the principal driver and why I've been saying for over a year it wasn't transitory. So I'm glad to see that he agrees transitory should be We put that word away. uh, He does, Uh, and he does have the tools to fight this. And I think it's going to be – I hope it's an easy fight, like he suggests, that inflation could peak uh, sometime this year.
1: Well, as we consider the forces behind uh, this inflation, a moment in today's hearing – revealing, in which Chair Powell was talking with the chair of the committee, of course, Senator Sherrod Brown. Listen to this.
4: Do you agree
2: that higher prices are related to the supply and demand imbalances that can be traced directly back to the pandemic and the reopening of the economy?
5: Yes, yes, I do. For the most part, um, if you look back and you can trace to developments, including strong demand and also supply constraints.
1: This is what we have been hearing more recently from the administration pretty consistently, Congressman, that it's a global issue, that it's a supply chain issue. As soon as supply chain is going to be is is solved, the inflation problem is solved. Do you see this differently?
4: I do see it differently. I think there are more classic elements of inflation getting uh, out of hand expectations wise. Let me explain. Let's just look at energy. We have Both uh, supply constraints by the Biden administration, uh, demonizing fossil fuel production. We're not going to produce uh, the replacement reserves we need for the next uh, three decades, taking leasing off the table, shooting down the Keystone pipeline as a process. And you have demand, uh, driving down demand by taxing gas in the BBB program and other things that uh, dampen demand. So, in my view, they've got supply and demand issues, but the fundamental, when you look at labor, mm-hmm. uh, you look at labor year over year, say nine, over 9% growth in some proxies for that. Housing, which is a third of CPI, is only in the 2 or 3% range in the data, but in the reality of existing home sales and new home sales, you're in the teens. So I think actually going into 2022, Core CPI and CPI both have been understated going into 2022, and they're both going to accelerate, both from labor and from housing conditions, uh, even if commodities moderate.
1: We're talking with Congressman French Hill on Bloomberg Sound On. We get the, of course, inflation data. We get the, the consumer price report tomorrow. Uh, what is that going to mean for when Lale Brainerd testifies the following day on Thursday? Will that make this look mild or is that going to be a similar conversation
4: i think it'll be a similar conversation but when you look at the uh, ability for president biden to appoint a substantial number of governors on the federal reserve system this issue of getting inflation under control uh and taking action yeah. uh, from a monetary policy is should be the principal issue not climate change not bank regulatory opinions but uh, their monetary policy responsibility so i think that will come up with uh, uh, governor Brainerd, is anybody
1: talking to you about when we're going to get these other picks from the fed we've got three open seats and even the white house is telling us that it's soon it's shortly Stand by for news but then we get nothing what what's taking so long
4: well well my instinct from a presidential personnel point of view is i don't yeah. think they want to drop uh three names while they've got two up in the senate being confirmed uh and secondly they've got they really really uh, not a great track record with their recent financial services appointees uh, with Amarova at the OCC and the name they submitted at the XM Bank and others. so well,
1: the thing is the names of leaked. I mean call. Sarah Bloom Raskin these are people of Fed experience. they've got experience right. many cases with the Treasury. Well, I don't know do you do you think that the, the, the whispers you're hearing lead to confirmations?
4: Well, let's see what names they actually send up. Uh, Fair enough. Certainly, uh, Ms. Raskin is of
3: significant
4: experience at the Fed and the Treasury, but let's see what names they send up, and let's see what they say their priorities are as serving as governors of the Federal Reserve.
1: Congressman, I want to ask you about this uh, headline today uh, about your leader in the House, Kevin McCarthy, who says he will put forth legislation to prohibit members of Congress from trading individual securities. We've done a number of uh, broadcasts about uh, the stock trading act uh how few uh disclosures are being made and i wonder if you think it's time to, to to close the deal on this should should members of congress be allowed to own individual securities
4: well uh i haven't seen uh the legislation that kevin's considering and i haven't even heard him mention it so i saw that uh, come across the
1: it's a punch bowl report today. yeah yeah
4: Yeah, I saw it come through the news stories today uh, via Punchbowl, so I look forward to talking to him about it. In my view, look, we have financial disclosure requirements uh, that we update uh, on an annual basis for all the members of our families, and we report our stock trades and our stock positions every month in accordance with that previous act. So it seems to me that that's working, uh, and I'd have to, as I say, take a look at what Kevin's talking about and why Uh, Some additional action uh, is warranted. We have less of a problem,
1: if I'm reading you correctly then, we'd have less of an issue and spend less time talking about uh, lawmakers' stock holdings if people just enforced the laws already on the books. If people actually did their disclosures, we wouldn't have a problem.
4: Yeah, I mean we've had members of Congress not disclose uh, and make a mistake in disclosure and then evade disclosure. Well, that's We've got a good law. We've got a good regulatory process. Members just need to comply with it. Yeah. Uh, so that must that tells me that the system's actually working. But of course, I want to hear what uh, Leader McCarthy has to say on the
1: topic. I guess uh, Senator Ossoff, speaking of Georgia later on, will hear what Joe Biden's up to there uh, with Senator Ossoff. He's got his own proposal. It's just amazing to me how these bills keep coming back around, and it doesn't seem to impact the enforcement side of things. Uh, Jeff Merkley and uh, AOC had a a bill not that long ago. Last question for you, Congressman Hill. It's the wild card. And I have to have this uh, part of the conversation every time we discuss inflation and and monetary policy, and that's COVID. We only have a minute left. How much of a wild card is this going to be for solving the inflation problem in the new year?
4: Well, certainly the supply chain has been disrupted by massive labor shortages and disruptions. And I think that's why I don't support vaccine mandates. I think that exacerbates getting people back to work. We need to get people back to work. We need to recognize that COVID-19 is something we're going to have to live with. And this Omicron variant, Joe, uh, really is more like uh, a seasonal approach where everybody is going to have to be impacted by it. So we need to be flexible and we need to recognize that we have to live with this going forward. It's not a it's not a. Uh, two-week activity like Dr. Fauci told us back in March of 2020.
1: Congressman French Hill, Republican from Arkansas. It's great to have you back. House Financial Services and noted Fed Watcher will assemble the panel next. Rick and Jeannie are on the way. This is Bloomberg.
0: The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.
6: You're listening to Bloomberg
1: Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. The Chair Powell had a moment's That may have given a few senators a heart palpitation today. I don't know if you got through this uh, testimony, but that's why we're here. Think of us as the audio Notes, Although we go deeper than that on the fastest hour in politics. It happened during questioning from Senator Mike Crapo from Idaho. Chair Powell talking about just how long this whole inflation bug might hang around. Listen to what he says about the timeline.
5: I think that inflationary pressures do seem to be on track to last well into the middle of next year. What? And if they last longer than that, then I'll just say that our policy will continue to adapt. Our, our policy has been adapting to this, um, you know, for some months. Uh, but we'll, if, if, if inflation is going to last longer, then that would, that would potentially imply more risk of, of, of its persistence and ultimately Except becoming next year. entrenched, and, and our say policy next year? will respond accordingly. You
1: said next uh, year.
5: You just said well into the middle of next year. Did you mean this year or ne- through all? No, no. Next year. I meant I meant this year. You're right. I still this? think it's 2021. Sometimes <laughs> Hey. Oh. I thought so, but I wanted to be sure what you were.
1: Suckable. Members of the committee grab their arm. Wow, no, uh, Chair Powell. No, this year that would have been a headline. I actually really thought I. I mean, I was taking him at his word as I'm hearing this. Whoa. Middle of next year, they're going to head out to send out the hot headlines on the terminal any second now. So we got over that, and as we bring in the panel here, we want to talk about the odds of confirmation here, what we might expect on Thursday as well. Rick and Jeannie with us, Bloomberg Politics contributors, Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis. Is this is it easy from here, Jeannie, and the the confirmation, and and that goes for both of them. Pal today, Brainerd Thursday.
6: Yeah yeah I have to say I heard that as well and as somebody who will write 2021 for the next about 6 months I had a lot <laughs> of sympathy for, for you, you know for yes I did um you know we hear we hear Sherrod Brown saying he expects him you know to get over 80 votes in in support so you know no question there's going to be smooth sailing for Jerome Powell and I think today very little fireworks in the confirmation or the you know in the hearing if you will so I think it's fairly smooth sailing for him I suspect Thursday will be a little bit more animated and energized, if only because of the issues at hand. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think it's smooth sailing. I think one of the things that, uh, you know, is noteworthy is it's not only progressives like Elizabeth Warren, who are a no, it's also some Republicans potentially who think he missed the boat on inflation. So mm. that's that's something noteworthy. There's sort of, you know, strange bedfellows in that regard.
1: So did, did he uh, Rick Davis, did he put all the, the criticisms to bed today? Republicans are happy with the plan going forward. He's. He's got inflation under control at some point this year.
2: Yeah, I mean, that's certainly what they want to hear, and uh, and they want to have confidence that he can do it. Uh, he certainly seemed to address most of their concerns about it, and uh, his willingness to adjust the plan if, uh, if if inflation is more stubborn than he thinks uh, seemed to keep the opening that there'll be more to hear on this in future hearings. But just no. I mean, there's not a member of that committee, Republican or Democrat alike, who isn't going to bear down every time they have him in front of the committee on exactly yeah. how much progress he's making. So this is not the last we'll hear uh, on his plans to tackle inflation or any of the other issues that uh, that were brought up today.
1: We heard exclusively uh, from Sherrod Brown, Senator Brown, the chair, of course, of the Banking Committee, uh, spoken in, in the hallway with Bloomberg reporter Daniel Flatley and, and made it pretty clear that, that that he sees this as a layup. Listen to Daniel talking with Senator Brown. Do you have any sense as to whether he'll... It seems like he has support to get... Yeah, I, I don't see more than
4: a small, small handful of no votes on the committee. Right. And I can't imagine there are that many on the floor. There were maybe 15 the most Yeah. last time when Trump nominated him. Okay. So I don't think that number changes much, but I don't know. I've not done a whip, but I have a good idea.
1: So maybe fifteen knows, Jeannie, That that jives with the math that you heard. Is that what you expect? It'll be like the first time around. Th- that's
6: what that's what Brown has been saying. That's what we're hearing. You know, a, you know, a handful of Democrats, Bernie Sanders, and then a small number of Republicans who, again, seem to not feel that the Fed has been on top of the issue of inflation. So, it, it you know, but he's going to have smooth sailing through this. But you know, to Rick's point, I think one of the things I did take away from the hearing today. Is that they are going to be, obviously, every time he is in front of them, pushing him on the not only inflation, but also this issue of ethics, which was brought up several times, the issue of climate change, the issue of crypto. So he has a lot on his plate that he's going to have to contend with over the next four years, should he be confirmed.
1: Yeah, Pat Toomey, the ranking member, came right out with uh, this Clarita story, the trading scandals that have happened, if we should call them scandals, in, in the Fed, Rick, this this new uh, Clarita story, Richard Clarita leaving two weeks early uh, because of uh, his, I guess, the, the, the changes he made in his disclosure. It looks like a very different trade now than it did the first time around. Are you surprised Powell didn't hear more about that? Or is that going to be more of a conversation uh, for later hearings?
2: You know, I, I think there's two things that drive that. One is um, it's an evolving issue, so uh, this seems to have more legs. With Clarida resigning early, it's going to open up more discussion in the future as people learn more about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very timely right now, but two, I mean, there's exposure in the House and Senate with members who uh, have trading issues, and so uh, this may fall into that edgy category of you know you don't live in a glass house, you know don't throw rocks, and so. Yeah. Um, My guess is that it was kind of a quiet issue uh, in today's hearing. Uh, I doubt it would be any more so in uh, Brainerd's testimony, but I do think uh, with Republicans, the climate issue is the one that I think they were most concerned about.
1: Rick and Jeannie with us on Sound On, coming up the other major news story we're following today, and that's the push for voting rights legislation. President Biden following up on the Jan 6 speech today, In a visit to Atlanta, we'll talk with Georgia's Secretary of State about where he sees this debate going. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. President Biden has wrapped his speech in Atlanta, making the case today for voting rights legislation that we are told could see a vote next week or so in Washington, at least a vote to to change the filibuster. In this particular case, something the president supports. It is unclear, though, if this will ever see the light of day, because, well, if you listen to this program, you know that there are a couple of key Democratic senators, Joe Manchin, Kirsten Sinema, you may have heard of them, who do not support changing the filibuster. And so there are questions about whether this is going anywhere. Here's Joe Biden last hour in Georgia.
3: Let me be clear. This is not about me or Vice President Harris or our party. It's about all of us. It's about the people. It's about America. Hear me plainly. The battle for the soul of America is not over. We must stand strong and stand together to make sure January 6 marks not the end of democracy but the beginning of a renaissance of our democracy.
1: President making the case for the bill's speech there Morehouse College his trip including a visit to Ebenezer Baptist Church evoking the legacies as I read on the terminal of civil rights leaders Martin Luther King Jr. and John Lewis But not everybody agrees on this. In fact, there is a real divide here, as you know, if you follow politics between Democrats and Republicans on access and on identification following everything that went down in the election last year. It's an interesting case, though. It's one of these deals where both sides of the aisle want to see changes. They're just coming at it from entirely different directions. We're joined now by george's secretary of state brad raffensperger who you likely remember from the infamous phone call is with us here on bloomberg sound on joe biden wrong secretary
3: oh absolutely wrong this is nothing short than a federal elections takeover they've lost seats in the house of representatives they have a majority of what six or seven it's 50 50 in the senate they have no mandate but what they want to do is have same-day registration. They want to do away with photo ID. And what you'll end up with is people saying who they are, just filling out a piece of paper, and you don't know if that really is the person. And then also you could end up with non-citizen voting like you have in New York and also San Francisco. I heard today that San Jose, California is looking at it also. And so this uh, bill just doesn't, isn't supported by the majority of the American people. If you do polling, what you'll find is that over 80 percent of all Americans believe in photo ID and that it crosses both party lines and also any demographic groups. So this would all overhaul sort
1: of believe- elections in your state, right? Like the, the Election Integrity okay. Act of 21 would be overturned by what the president
3: is proposing? Exactly. And so we now have photo ID for all forms of voting. We have it for absentee voting, which I asked for when I ran it in 2018, got it three years later. But this is something they've been using in Minnesota now for 11 years. So it's not something that comes from the right. It actually started in Minnesota, which is a left leaning state. Texas is going to use photo ID also because we know it's an objective measure. And so whenever we can do that, objectively identify voters. And 98.5% of all Georgians have a driver's license, and that's how we'll identify voters.
1: For the sake of clarity and for our listeners, Secretary, you are vote, uh, running for re-election now, correct? You've got correct. a primary yep. coming up in May, I believe. Are, are you fundraising on this issue, or this is something that you're you're speaking about uh, because it's your passion.
3: Well, when I ran back in 2018, the top, my top three bullet points, number one, was making sure that only American citizens voted in our election. But now what we're seeing is that they're having – the Democrats are pushing in municipal elections, having non-citizens vote. And so I think this is important that we have a constitutional amendment in the state of Georgia. I think we need a federal constitutional amendment that only American citizens vote in our elections. And that is supported by Americans across the board of all political stripes.
1: Well, look, people can find their own voting and come up with their own ideas. I just wonder when it comes to, to voter ID, for instance, you're famous in part for standing by the sanctity of Georgia's election. If we didn't have that the last time around, when you said there was no fraud, why do we need it now?
3: I didn't say there wasn't any fraud. What I said is there wasn't sufficient enough errors or to fraud change the outcome. The election results to change the outcome. I understand. Yeah. But. When you have photo ID for all forms of voting you treat all voters the same, that's a good thing. Number two, it'll help shore up lack of confidence in the process so we can accurately identify everyone. And like I said, Minnesota's been using this for 11 years now. Talk to me about giving somebody a bottle
1: of water. I'm, I'm, I really, I want to ask you this seriously, Secretary, because the, people get hysterical talking about this on, on both sides. The law and that you passed, you, the Election Integrity Act of 21, would would make it a crime if I if I understand this correctly to give so, someone water or food while waiting in line. Is that actually true, or is that a talking point?
3: It's more or less a talking point because it was always in state law, but there was just some gray area there. What we really had for uh, time immortal is a 150 foot. No politicking, no electioneering rule. So you could not come in and start electioneering within the 150-foot zone. What okay. people were doing, these activists were coming within there, giving people a bottle of water with their T-shirts emblazoned from their vote. party or their, or their candidate, and they were trying to do some last-minute electioneering. What we're saying, if you want to give water out to people, go out to the 151-foot zone, and then you can do that. But don't come in with the 150-foot zone. That's all it did.
1: I only have about a minute, Secretary. I wish I had a whole hour with you here. I, President Biden called that bill, that now law, the Election Integrity Act, Jim Crow in the 21st century. He says that that, that things like voter ID, uh, different requirements on absentee or early ballots result in fewer people voting. Is he wrong?
3: Oh, absolutely, because we've actually used this for their last fall elections, municipal elections, and we had a record turnout for municipal elections municipal elections it was up uh probably nearly double what we normally see and so it has not decreased turnout at all but his lies and the liberals that have spread lies about georgia's election cost our state an all-star game but we won the world series anyway but it also cost us 100 million dollars to small business owners
1: i didn't even ask you about the bulldogs uh, secretary but i appreciate yes. you coming on to talk to me about it
3: well and we're now the national champions for that and we've been recognized as number one for election <laughs> integrity also
1: He's a serious man, Republican Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger of Georgia. We thank you. He's calling the president a liar on this. Let's see how the panel feels about it next. Rick and Genie are on the way. Voter integrity, voter rights reform on the way on Sound On. This is Bloomberg.
0: The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum, powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers, and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights, and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at cartereconomicforum.com.
1: You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Good think Sound On is a safe space for political opinion because we're getting very close to some third rails here with regard to voting rights, but we can have this conversation. We're going to finish it with Rick and Jeannie. Our panel, Bloomberg Politics contributors, Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis with us for the hour here as we uh, come off our conversation with Brad Raffensberger. Jeannie, where is he wrong? Talk to me first about the, the, the bigger issue of voter ID. You clearly do not agree with the Georgia law as it's written, Jeannie. Would the president uh, make that a a, a more accommodative place for voters? And why is the Secretary of State wrong?
6: Well, you know, the issue has always been that voter ID requirements affect people of color, black and brown people, and people who are poor. So you just take Georgia, for instance, the numbers are about 272,000 registered voters don't have the required ID. So they have to submit additional documentation. And that requires time, money, and the ability to do that. And so what happens is many of them become disenfranchised. But even more so than that, as if that's not enough. The issue has always been, at least for me and many people who do research in this, era, in this area, is that it's a solution in search of a problem. You know, fraud at the polls is very, very rare. There was a study in 2014 that found only 31 cases of voter impersonation across the nation. I mean, those are, you know, numbers that you can't even imagine. And so, that's why people have a problem with it sure there's always going to be problems but that is not the biggest problem and what it does is it disenfranchises people and this is what the courts have found particularly those cases that came out of texas well so raffensperger that,
1: would tell you all you're going to have is a bunch of illegal uh, residents uh, going to vote then if if we follow your logic uh,
6: yeah a lot but 31 was the number we have so you know i huh. always say to students if there's a rush at the polls i would love to see it because our problem in the United States has not been too many people trying to vote. It's too few. And so that is not really the problem. If there is a problem, they should show the numbers. They've never been able to show that in court.
1: What do you say to that, Rick Davis? You
2: know, uh, the system of our voting uh, in this country is by state law. And, And there are many state laws that cover Voting uh, of this kind. Uh, back in the 1990s, we passed a motor voter bill that allowed you to register, you know, through the Motor Vehicle Administration, and widely supported by uh, Democrats uh, because they thought that could expand the voter registration rolls. Republican opposed it. Now it's nobody cares about it anymore. It's just another way to get registered. Yeah. So um, you know, look, I mean, we uh, we require a federal ID of some sort uh to do almost anything anymore you know welcome post 9 11. and and so uh i think states that deem it necessary to police their ballot boxes by showing a form of id have absolutely the right to do it it's it's a local decision uh last thing we want to do is have the federal government get involved in deciding what happens Hmm. in elections in states because look at the best example the fec the federal election commission it is completely broke it's not had a full contingent of commissioners in years, it doesn't do a thing. And it's a great example of federal federal oversight of elections when they're it, it, they can't even accomplish that.
1: Having the right to do it is one thing, though, Rick, is that is that enough to know that that there are people who will not be able to vote with with an I.D. law.
2: If you if you don't have an I.D., you can always do a provisional ballot in the states that don't require I.D. or do require I.D. and mm-hmm. have that provisional ballot uh, counted once you were able to uh, some you know residency in that precinct so is that people not vote realistic? in precinct all you got to do is show you're from that precinct
6: well, that, that's the problem, right, is that you disproportionately disenfranchise the number in the, uh, one of the last uh, court cases was about half a million uh, poor and black and brown people in Texas were disenfranchised because while it may be not particularly difficult for most people, it is particularly difficult if you're living below the poverty line and you can't get that access. And so that's the problem. And, and you know, we should also be very clear that the Freedom to Vote Act, which the Democrats are pushing for is not it's what it's going to do is it's going to promote a national standard for states that already have an identification requirement yeah. it's not going to stop those and it's going to allow for alternative options for voters to be validated and it's going to say that states that don't have those identifications they're not going to be required to have one so you know one thing we do know is that progressives have been more willing to be open to the issue of an ID and more accepting of it but I think we do have to make sure at the very least that the poor are not disenfranchised and they are not kept out of the polls because they don't have access to voter IDs which most of us have but the numbers in Georgia alone 272,000 registered voters without yeah. the required IDs.
1: The Georgia uh, election law the integrity act it's bill 202 if you want to google this and and play along in your home game here it bars officials from sending out unsolicited absentee ballot request forms. It reduces the amount of time uh, people have to request an absentee ballot. It also limits the use of ballot drop boxes. Are those all good ideas, Rick, or no?
2: You know, again, I mean, it's it's it, every state has a different ballot uh, absentee process, right? I mean, you can get in Arizona, you get on a permanent roll and get one every yep, year. That's right. Um, uh, you can get one um, uh, on election day uh, and cast it through the mail. So, I mean, all these states have different rules that govern that. I think one of the things that happen um, that people need to understand is part of the reason we're having this debate is... Uh, due to COVID, a That's lot correct. of states changed their procedures in yes. 2020, uh, and, and it was sold to the public as a one-time thing because of the pandemic. We're going to really change the way, you know, we we do elections and allow people to to not have to go to polls and create a societal change in the way voting happens. And and, and those and should be
1: rolled back, Rick.
2: I, I'm not sure every one of them roll back. I mean, I I think same-day registrations are particularly good. Um, uh, rule to have because it can be police and it, and it keeps people in the game all the way to the beginning. But there, there are so many rules right now that skew elections. You know, early voting was seen at the time as a way to try and involve more people because election participation was going down. Now we have record participation and then some elections are done in October. I mean, don't you want to know in October uh, what the issues are that may affect your vote uh, come in November? So, I mean, I think some of these actually deserve correction because what they were intended to do have have maybe missed the consequences of those actions.
1: How about the water, the food and water bid, Jeannie? This is one of these lines that just kind of takes on a life of its own on cable news and becomes fodder on on talk radio. But that's why I asked the secretary about that. You heard what he said. Should people be able to give a bottle of water to somebody within that that 150 foot uh, perimeter? Or that's the deal. If you're voting, you can't fool around with people in line.
6: I, I think they should be able to get water. I also think, you know, in defense of, of the Georgia law, that that has been widely overstated. The president mentioned it today to huge applause. Yeah. I think much more important than that, if we go back even before the pandemic, and I agree that that did have a huge impact, but well before that was the Supreme Court's gutting of preclearance in the Voting Rights Act in 2013. It was after that, if you look at places like the Brennan Center, where we saw this flood of legislation out of the state's. Much of it designed to disenfranchise people on the other side of the aisle. Yep. Pre-clearance should be restored. That's part of this John Lewis Voting Rights Act, which is the second of these acts that the Democrats are pushing for. It's the less, it's sort of the the smaller, if you will, of the two. The one that people like Joe right, Manchin right, support. Right. You should restore pre-clearance. You should restore the Voting Act. It was gutted in 2013, and we've seen a dramatic change in access to the polls since that decision, particularly for African Americans and black. brown people in this country.
1: Let's be clear that not everyone agrees within the Democratic Party. And in our remaining moments, I'd like to look at some of the discord internally here. The statement from uh, the NAACP president, Derek Johnson, was brutal coming off of this speech, which you would think would have been pretty well received if you listen to what the president said. He writes, our democracy stands in its final hour. Unless President Biden applies the same level of urgency around voting rights as he did for Build Back Better and infrastructure, America may soon be unrecognizable. He goes on to write, while Biden delivered a stirring speech today, it's time for this administration to match their words with actions and for Congress to do their job. It seems to me, uh, Rick, that the administration is doing a lot. Congress is the problem. They, they don't have the votes. They they don't have the votes for this bill, uh, and it's the two people
2: who you mentioned in the in the previous interview, <laughs> yeah. um, you know Joe Manchin, and Kristen Sinema, who actually do support a different freedom to act vote, uh, freedom to vote act uh, that is supported right. by, from what I can tell, fifty uh, Democratic senators uh, co-sponsored between. Amy Klobuchar, uh, and, uh, and Joe Manchin. So it's not like there aren't things that are in the hopper that could be voted on today. It's just the bill that, that, that the president was talking about today is not even supported within his own party. That's the problem. It's not a filibuster problem. It's a democratic consensus problem.
1: With that statement in mind, Jeannie, I want you to listen to something and, and consider something here as we listen to Jen Psaki for a moment. It was a who's who of progressives with the president today. The entourage on Air Force One and Air Force Two, I mean, these planes were loaded— Uh, one person, of course, was not there, and we had a sense of this yesterday when the White House wasn't able to tell us, and that would be Stacey Abrams. Here's Jen Psaki, the White House press secretary, gaggling, as they say on Air Force One. I think
0: well, we the have president Jim had a warm Sock. conversation with Stacey Abrams this morning. He saw it as a
1: continuation of the conversation they've had for the last several years about their shared commitment to protecting the right to vote, protecting democracy in this country. And they
6: agreed uh, that it's important to continue to fight for this and work together uh, moving forward. Uh, he is the first to say he understands what's scheduling conflicts and how they appear in your life. Uh, beyond that, I would point you to her uh, and her team on any more specifics.
1: So they spoke today. They agree on all of this stuff. But Jeannie, what does it mean that Stacey Abrams wasn't there?
6: Well, you know, I, I don't know what she could be doing that she couldn't make time to see the president of the United States. It seems to me Stacey Abrams has learned a little bit from Glenn Youngkin and his ability uh, to treat Donald Trump with sort of a, you know, an, an arm's distance. I think she's doing something of the same there. She wants I, to be governor. She, she wants to be governor, of yeah. course. And I think the NAACP president's statement now is just another sign of what she's thinking. They don't want empty gestures. They don't want photo ops. They want the president to do something thing the problem is the president doesn't have the power to do it to your point it's got to be congress and they simply don't have the numbers that's the reality but he's going to be hit from the left Oof. for that reality
1: donald trump out with the statement rick you better believe it quote stacy knows biden actually lost big in georgia she helped biden steal the election in georgia but now she won't even share a stage with joe is it is it bad optics that she wasn't there or are we making too much of it
2: No, I think it's bad optics, but when your president comes to town he's got a 40% of job approval, you don't show up for the event.
1: (laughs) Wow. What a way to make a living. Rick and Jeannie, thanks as ever. Great conversation, smart talk on voting rights. You won't hear that anywhere else. But here on Sound On, the fastest hour in politics. We'll meet you back here tomorrow with a lot more. I'm Joe Matthew, and this is Bloomberg.